a critical special teams mistake, negative one in the turnover battle, and 50 team rushing yards is the perfect recipe for a letdown game. What's up, Jets fans? I'm Dylan Terriman with Jet Nation Live and JetNation.com. Thank you for tuning in to episode 16 of our show. Glenn is going to be traveling with his family for the holidays, so it's going to be me flying solo on this on this week's pod. The Jets fall to 7-7 seven and seven after their 20-17 loss to the Detroit Lions. To be frank, all facets of the game failed at one point or another. Um, chronologically, the special teams, um, a terrible line drive punt by Braden Mann that's returned by Khalif Raymond for a touchdown. Then you have the offense post-Zach Wilson interceptions. Offensive line is not generating any push in the run game, um, taking meaning, meaningful sacks in positions where you can't. And just playing very conservative after the interception, it seemed like the play calling was dialed back significantly. Then the defense on fourth and inches, they let a tight end, a backup tight end leak out and score a 51-yard touchdown. Very uncharacteristic, but defense certainly failed on that one. And then last but not least, Rob Sala and the time management on the final drive of the game. <clears throat> you can <clears throat> excuse me, you can point to Zach Wilson taking sacks, missing throws. He made a couple throws on that drive, but ultimately Rob Solo is the reason that they settled for a 58-yard field goal and nothing closer. Obviously, the kick was nowhere near close from Greg Zerloin. Again, an uncharacteristic kick from Greg Zerloin. I feel like he's been money for the most part this season. But to put him in a 58-yard situation to tie the game, it just it didn't need to get there. So ultimately, all four phases had a back-breaking failure or, or breakdown that caused this loss. You can't blame it on one singular thing. I do have a couple stats here before I get into some individual performances. Uh, PFF, so grain of salt, everybody had the Jets special teams as their worst grade of the season with a 45. Um, their second worst was the New England game where they lost 10 to three on a special teams play where they scored 52.3. So a significant drop in seven points on PFF's grading system. And it was actually the second punt return for the Jets against the Jets this season of the three total punt returns that have happened this season. So that's not a good look for Braden Mann or the Jets special teams unit. And then another uh, PFF grade pass blocking 38.6 by far the worst this season. Um, going all the way back to week one was their second worst at 43. So you're looking at almost a five and a half point jump down in pass blocking from week one to now. And it's just unacceptable. Um, the offensive line has certainly seen their combination, their fair share of combinations. And I think it's a weekly evaluation as far as all five of them. Some play good, some play better than others. Some like we've seen with Lake and uh, Tomlinson on the all 22 this week, Lake and Tomlinson is not playing good at all. So it's a, a wide range of outcomes for each individual player on that unit, as well as the unit as a whole. Offensive line, we'll just start right there. <clears throat> Absolutely no push in the run game. Like I said, at the top 50 yards rushing for the team, you're just, it's, you're never going to win a football game like that. Bam Knight was fighting for every single blade of grass that he could get. And I think it resulted in his injury. He had his foot or ankle taped up and he came back in, but He's listed as questionable for the game, and I believe he will play. But it just goes to show that the offensive line was generating nothing, and he felt like he needed to do way more than expected. He finishes with 13 for 23 and zero targets in the pass game. 
And Michael Carter finishes with four carries for 15 yards and one catch for 16 yards. So Bam Knight, 13 carries, Michael Carter, four. Um, obviously, that's a very un, a lopsided split in Bam Knight's favor. And that's something that Glenn and I have talked about over the past few weeks is, should Bam Knight be seeing 70 to 80% of the snaps? Here in this game, he got 13 of the 17 running back attempts. So right there, that's over 72%. Michael Carter has 23 and a half percent. So I think that's a, a fair harbinger of what's to come for the next three weeks. If Bam is healthy, he should be the lead guy in more than just a 50, 50 capacity. Uh, Michael Carter, I feel like he has some kind of lingering issues possibly with that knee. I just, I don't see the explosiveness quite frankly. Um, he did have the amazing catch down the, the left sideline to bail Zach out on a third down play that really he had no business of throwing that pass, but, Good on Michael Carter for making it happen. We can circle back to Zach Wilson um, because I felt like the offensive line is a part of his play. Um, 19 pressures, I believe, PFF had the Jets offensive line accredited for, which is significantly high. Um, I just feel like so many of those pressures are created by Zach Wilson leaving pockets or dropping back a little too far. Um I do want to get into his explosive plays, but I do want to focus on a little bit of the negative first, and that is the timing and the rhythm of this offense when Zach is under center is significantly lessened compared to Mike White. I'm not even going to compare him to Joe Flacco because Joe Flacco has no business being on the field for the New York Jets at any capacity. If they really plan on making a playoff push, I'd rather see Chris Strebler actually successfully complete a drop back and not Joe Flacco. But Zach Wilson creates a lot of these pressures by getting out of the rhythm of the play. And I, I'm not the expert to give my, you know, X's and O's take on it. So I do rely on former players and film breakdowns to help me understand better what's going on. And Willie Colon on the SNY post game said that when you're in a drop of five to seven step drop, your offensive linemen have, checkpoints or mile markers that they have to get to on the play in order for it to be successful. So if you're in a five or seven step drop and your offensive line is taking a five to seven step drop pass set, they need you to be at five to seven steps where you're going to look, make them look bad. And I feel like that happens quite a bit with Zach Wilson. Um, we can talk about the explosive plays. Of course, I feel like every Every drive, there was an explosive player. Every other drive, Zach Wilson was making a play that you go, wow. I don't think I've ever seen a Jets quarterback make these plays, and, and certainly not my lifetime. I'm only 20, 27, so I haven't seen a ton of the, the history of the Jets, so to speak. But there's a lot of plays that Zach Wilson puts out there that I look at it. I'm like, I've never seen a quarterback for the Jets make those types of plays, and I don't think that there's many quarterbacks in the league that can make these types of plays. But when all you have is the super, super high plays and then the super, super low plays where you're missing guys over the middle on a fourth and or on a fourth quarter drive when you have to have it and you're missing two guys over the middle twice. Um, I'll pull up his his spray sheet from Next Gen Stats. Zach Wilson failed over the middle of the field consistently um, last week. Every green dot on the chart outside the hash marks, outside the numbers, Similarly to what we saw at BYU, he does not thrive over the middle of the field. And I feel like that is one of the differences, one of the many differences between him and Mike White. 
I, th- I think Mike White utilizes the entire span of the field more. Um, that's not to say that he is better than Zach Wilson. I think there are plenty of things that Zach Wilson does better than Mike White. But when it comes to utilizing the entire field and the vision to utilize the entire field, I think it's it's Mike White by a clear margin. A um, couple stats, Zach Wilson, um, he did have a stellar first half, 185 yards and the touchdown. That was the first C.J. Uzama touchdown on the, the double move post where he beat the safety. Zach Wilson throws it from the left hash all the way across to the to the far right numbers. So a very long throw for Zach Wilson. And I feel like if you were one of those people that said, hey, Zach Wilson's got that that arm strength, that that get out of the pocket and improvise and create type of play making ability. If you're the one that that wants to cling to that with Zach Wilson, by all means, you can because he made plays, like I said, that not many people can make. But at the end of the day, and to just use Rob Sala's wording of it, I feel like there was a lot of meat left on the bone in the passing game. Sure, you can look at the box score, say 317 yards. That's that's quite a bit. That's a lot more than that's Zach Wilson's second 300-yard game in his entire career through 21 starts. So you can look at it and say, from a box score perspective, yes, he had a good day. You start breaking it down layer by layer, looking at the all 22 and the misses as well as the makes, and there's just a ton of meat left on the bone. I feel like he could have thrown for 400, 415, 425 in this game, and that that was almost like you don't even think about it, and we've never seen that out of Zach Wilson, and it was just right there ready to be grasped, and he just couldn't do it. Another note that I had specifically about Zach Wilson, and this was – more how I saw the Lions reacting to Zach Wilson. And it seemed like they were kind of stacking the box early. Um, that shows with the the limited generated uh, force in the run game. But the Lions seemed like they didn't really respect Zach Wilson. Even after some of those big plays that happened, the Lions were coming down, loading the box for the run and almost essentially daring Zach Wilson to, to pass it on them. And even with all that happening, he completed 54%. So a lot of meat left on the bone for Zach. I'll put it there. I'm not going to write him off completely. Obviously, he's going to be the starter for Thursday night football against the Jaguars. So I'm not going to, you know, diminish this kid's career until I think at least this game, because this might very well be his last opportunity. I am under the belief that if Mike White is healthy going into the Seattle game in 11 days from now, this is Wednesday night's recording. I think it's Mike White's job at least for the last two games, because Mike White is a free agent. And if anything else, they just want to see if Mike White can be a guy, not the guy, but a guy moving forward, 2023, 2024, wherever they are looking. They just want to see if he can be a guy. They think Zach Wilson can be the guy, but if you can have a guy until you get the guy where he needs to be, I think that's a good situation. Obviously, Joe Flacco should not be on this roster next year. Chris Strebler could potentially come in and compete for a quarterback two role, depending on how quarterback one shakes out. But right now, a lot of talk is surrounded by the Jets looking at veteran options next year. And I feel like instead of jumping the gun on a veteran option like a Jimmy G, go see what you have in Mike White. Let him play the reps. You feel like you know what Zach Wilson can be. So is this two-game sample size really going to make or break your evaluation? I personally don't think so. I think if you have your mind made up on Zach Wilson after 21 games, you'll have it made up after 23 games. So let Mike White, who has a smaller sample size, go out there and just 
give you all he has. I mean, he showed in the Buffalo game that he wants to be out there with his teammates at a minimum. He was not going to give his job up due to another injury to the Buffalo Bills. Unfortunately, that was the case. So I want to see him get one more chance, at least one more chance. If he poops the bed against Seattle, then sure. Zach Wilson, by all means, against Miami again. He's played them already, so he's familiar with a little bit of their defense. And I'm cool with it. But I think definitively to say Zach Wilson is not the guy, probably not after this game, is is not the best narrative to take. But to also say Zach Wilson is the leader of this organization for the future, definitively, again, I don't think you can make that take. So it's a very 50-50 with Zach Wilson. I feel like we're kind of in the same boat we were before the benching. Um, Fundamentally, he did okay. I think he still left, again, a lot of meat on the bone. The layup throws, I just I don't understand how he can't hit a layup, but he can hit the three-point half-court shots like Steph Curry range. So all over the map with Zach Wilson, and the Twitter streets have been all over the map with Zach Wilson. Um, when Glenn gets back next week, we'll have a two-game sample size of Zach Wilson post-benching, and we'll really dive into it then. And quite frankly, this could be his last shot. Like I said, if they're going to give it to Mike White the next two games, Zach Wilson could be done for the year in a Jets starting capacity and he will have to come in next year in whatever role they give him and try to earn everything he's got. That's my piece about Zach Wilson. Now the people that Zach Wilson was throwing to namely Garrett Wilson, um, just phenomenal. I, I can't say enough about these playmakers. Garrett Wilson breaks Wayne Corbett's record for rookie receptions. He now has 67. He has 967 receiving yards. So he's, 11 yards a game away from a thousand on the season. So he could literally catch a first down in every game and basically break a thousand. Um, he's the favorite for offensive rookie of the year, rightfully so. Um, I think this Thursday night game for him specifically could really put him on the map of, okay, I'm the, the favorite for offensive rookie of the year, but now I'm the, the clear cut runaway with offensive rookie of the year. It looks like Kenneth Walker for the Seattle Seahawks is uh, missing time in practice due to an ankle injury. I know Chris Olave is missing practice with a hamstring injury. And then Christian Watson is the other contender for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And he had a pretty pedestrian game Monday night against the Rams for the Packers. So if Garrett Wilson is able to, you know, make a statement in primetime, go for over 100 yards, he had four for 98 in this game with Zach Wilson's return. So I think the connection was certainly there with Zach Wilson. <clears throat> Just a matter of keeping it going. If he can hit over 100 yards in prime time, people are not going to stop talking about Garrett Wilson as the clear-cut offensive rookie of the year. He had some great contested catches, um, notably the, the defensive pass interference that was obviously declined because he caught it. He fought through contact numerous times on that play. And then you had the the improvisation where he was cutting out to the sideline and then cut back up to side, uh, the sideline. And Zach Wilson found him on the first or second drive of the game. So Garrett Wilson had some explosive plays, uh, a good connection with Zach Wilson, which we haven't really seen much throughout this season. I believe his numbers were fairly low under Zach Wilson, maybe 40 yards a game. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's good to see Garrett Wilson connecting with Zach. I know, um, he was visibly frustrated with Zach during the game after a couple missed passes. And at the end of the game, I think the best video that came out was Garrett and Zach hugging on the sidelines, them giving each other a little pep talk, you know, like 
kind of like an I got your back sort of thing. We'll support you no matter what. So it was really good to see Garrett Wilson doing that. Um, Saul was asked about Garrett Wilson wearing his heart on his sleeve in in a press conference. And he said that he loves that mentality from Garrett Wilson. And quite frankly, so do I. Obviously, when it's negative, that's the only thing that people are going to focus on is his body language and his visibly visible frustration with what's going on in the game. But like Rob Salas said, he's the first person to go run over and congratulate a teammate for something good happening. So obviously they're going to look at it one way and say Garrett Wilson's being super negative with his demeanor and his body language. But if you look at the whole picture, Garrett Wilson is just an ultimate competitor. And I mean, when you're drafted 10th overall from a high pedigree school like Ohio State and you're not really used to losing seven seven losses in a season feels like you know devastation to these types of guys so I, I commend Garrett Wilson for everything he does and his energy on and off the field I feel like he's going to be a really good player here Elijah Moore he had four for 51 um, some good some good involvement early he had a 21 uh, yard in breaking route it was either a little stop route or a little dig route that uh, Zach was able to hit him on. They got him involved in the swing passes, the end of rounds, finally. Like, stop giving those reps to Braxton Berrios. Give those to Elijah Moore. I understand Braxton Berrios has that, like, kick return, punt return gadget ability, but Elijah Moore just has so much more upside when he touches the ball. I feel like he kind of presses a little bit when he gets the ball, but at the same time, he makes so many players miss and in such a short area of space that you can get him going on the end arounds and the swings and the tunnel screens more so than you can Braxton Berrios. Um, I mentioned the two tight ends. Uzama had two touchdowns on two catches, uh, the 40 yard double post. And then he had the, the one yard flat route after Zach Wilson's uh, QB sneak was overturned. And then Tyler Conklin, he had strong hands on a first down catch. He also did have a first down sneak that that Kansas City Travis Kelsey quarterback signals and the tight end just sneaks it while he's while he's signaling. Love to see those little tiny wrinkles. I understand um, quarterback sneak is a play that teams are very iffy about, especially after Mahomes um, dislocated his knee a couple years back. Teams have very been very iffy on what to do on on quarterback sneaks and fourth and one uh, situations. I like them getting creative with Tyler Conklin. Other than that, I thought he had a pretty meh day. Um, third down, fourth down, uh, Jets did fairly well, 50%, 7 of 14 on third down. Their sole fourth down attempt was the YOLO ball to Elijah Moore to set up the field goal with one second left. Um, so they they obviously didn't get into many fourth down situations where they thought they could go for it. Obviously, when they needed to, they did. Um, but 7 of 14, 50% on third down is much better than I think what they have done. I'm not going to, I don't have the stats right in front of me of Mike White's last three games, but I feel like 50% is hovering a little bit above what they've been able to do with Mike White. <clears throat> in the red zone, they were one for two. So not as many opportunities as, you know, past games. I know they were one for six against Minnesota. But one for two, they had the Uzama touchdown I just mentioned, and then the first Greg uh, zero-line field goal, I believe it was 34 or 35 yards. So not terrible when it comes down to third down and uh, red zone def- uh, offense, excuse me. But I think, again, a little meat left on the bone offensively. Switching over to the defensive side of the ball, I think they played a great game. Jared Goff, um, he had eight touchdowns and zero interceptions coming in from the last like month or month and a half of football games. So 
He's been playing at a phenomenal rate. Um, I wrote it in my pregame article that I didn't think he was going to top 250 yards. He got 252. So uh, a little salty about that one, especially because 51 of them came on the tight end leak on fourth and one. And realistically, that was the only play that the defense had a bad play on. Obviously, there are other moments in the game that weren't spectacular. They had a fourth and three easy let up. That was there was a hold on Tony Adams. But they had the fourth and one stop right out the gates at the goal line that I thought really could have boosted the momentum. I think um, coming out and having a three and out backed up in your own end zone with the offense is not the best position to be in. But when your defense makes a fourth and one stop, you really have to do everything you can to capitalize on the momentum that your defense was trying to establish. Obviously, I'm never going to excuse a play like that from happening. Um, I'm also not going to point a finger definitively at somebody. I think it could be either linebacker CJ Mosley or Quincy Williams. Um, There's a bit of a communication error. It looked like on the back end of the all 22 film, uh, Mosley's pointing for Quincy to go this way. Maybe he's signaling for him to take the running back on the play fake. Um, And then the tight end, just he double team blocks with the the right tackle Penny Sewell. And then he just leaks out right to left across the screen. It looks like CJ Mosley realizes and he has that um that oh shit moment like i i'm the one that screwed up so you could say it was mosley again i'm not going to definitively say that either way it's a miscommunication error that should not happen and in those situations it felt like the worst that was going to happen is they were just going to convert a first down i didn't think in my wildest dreams they were going to get a touchdown on the play but that seemed to be the the put away touchdown obviously the jets got the ball again they weren't able to capitalize. Get into, they got into a long field goal range, and they weren't able to, to come up with it. But getting back to the defense, I felt like they played a great game outside of one play. They let up six points. They obviously had the special teams touchdown and then that big touchdown, so six points outside of one, one play defensively. So great job all around by them. Sauce Gardner, um, 36 coverage snaps, zero targets. Um, they tested DJ Reed quite a bit, and he had three pass breakups, which all of them seemed to outdo themselves. The first one, I believe, was against Chark. Then he had one against Jamison Williams, which was right at the goal line. And then he had one on Khalif Raymond that I believe it was just as big as the the Jamison play. So DJ Reed just coming to play every single Sunday. This has really been his season. I know um, – He's playing for his dad who passed just minutes before the kickoff of week one. So he's just playing inspired football. And and I'm going to talk a, a little bit about pro bowlers at the end of this show. And I think he's somebody who is certainly deserving of a pro bowl spot. Obviously, I think there's other players, even at his position on the Jets, that are worthy of it too. So it's going to be tough. But DJ Reed is certainly one that has been a phenomenal addition to this team. Um, defensive line. They didn't have Quinn Williams this week. He had a calf injury, a scary calf injury that fans feared the worst about, but ended up just being a small calf strain. They said it was the same one as his training camp injury uh, back in August. So I don't know if I like the sound of the reoccurring injury um, that kind of leaves the door open for it to keep happening, I feel like. So that will be one to monitor with Quinn Williams. But uh, overall, the defensive line, I felt like they had a confusing rotation to start. Um, and they just could not generate any pressure on Jared Goff. I felt like 
Anytime it was a play-action pass, Jared Goff was able to get back to the end of his drop, scan the entire field, and make the smartest read on every single play. Whether that resulted in a first down or a catch even against this defense didn't always happen. But the fact that he was able to sit there and make those decisions was not good from a defensive line perspective. Um, So Quinton's absence was certainly felt. Um, But then anytime they would get pressure, Bryce Huff had a couple pressures on Jared Goff. Excuse me. Bryce Huff had two or three pressures on Jared Goff. And anytime you were able to get close to Jared Goff in the pocket, a bad pass was going to be the result. So when they were able to get to him, good things happened. Obviously, it just didn't happen nearly enough. And Jared Goff was able to do similarly to the Jets defense, what Matt Ryan was able to do last year to them in London, where he knew what the defense essentially was going to do. He knew where his checkdowns were at all times. He could just check it down, get seven to eight yards, move on to the next play. Um, obviously, Goff only threw for 252 yards, so it, did, it didn't result in a huge game from him uh, in a yardage perspective. But it seemed like they were just able to chunk their way against the defense, and it was up to us to bend, not break in most situations. Um, They limited the run game. I believe they ended with 102 rushing yards, but it seemed like in the fourth quarter, uh, DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams both were, you know, chunking the defense and able to maintain drives, picking up first downs. So something that definitely needs to be picked, uh, you know, solidified moving forward for the Jets defense is their run defense. Uh, Especially if you're going to make an actual playoff push, you need your run game and your defense. And that includes run defense, because in these cold weather months, if if you don't want to tackle big running backs, you know, the Derrick Henry's of the world, if you don't want to tackle those guys in October, you certainly don't want to tackle those guys in January when it's cold and and everything is numb and and hurting. So definitely something I want to see the defense improve on. Um, Obviously, special teams, we mentioned it. The terrible punt by Braden Mann. Uh, I feel like at this point, it's kind of run its course. Um, at the very least, the Jets need competition at a punt at the punter position in moving into next offseason. I understand if week 16 probably isn't the best time to find a punter on the streets who's going to be consistent. So you might be stuck riding it out with a Braden man for the rest of the season, regardless of playoffs or not. So, But it's definitely one position that is going to be on the radar for the Jets to – I'm not going to say draft a punter ever – but look at them in free agency and create a competition for Braden Mann. Um, before we move into the Jaguars preview, I do want to list a couple injuries. The Jets seem to have a mounting number of injuries. Uh, first, I'll start with the wide receiver position. Um, good news, Corey Davis, um, he's recovering from his concussion. It looks like he'll be ready to roll for Thursday. Um, I know it's a short week and they only have walkthroughs but he was listed as a full participant today. So signs are pointing up for him to be able to play, which is good news because the other Z receiver on the Jets offense, Denzel Mims, he suffered a concussion in very similar fashion to Corey Davis taking a knee to the back of the head after a catch. Um, Mims was able to walk off with the trainers, but he was ruled out by halftime. As soon as you saw that it was his head in the, in, in a concussion you felt like Denzel Mims was a long shot to play on a short week anyway. He's not going to be able to play. So getting Corey back while missing Mims is huge. Um, 
Corey Davis obviously has the chemistry with Zach Wilson, so that's going to play a huge part in it, especially on third down, seven for 14, 50% uh, third down rate. Could be a lot higher if Corey Davis is on the field. So that's going to be a big a big addition for the offense this week. Quarterback Mike White um, going through evaluations, but they've already listed him out, obviously, as I mentioned. Zach Wilson will get a, a, another start. Um, could be his last but they say that it's going to be a weekly evaluation with Mike White. So it seems like the next update we'll have on him is Monday after the, the holiday weekend. Running back Bam Knight, I mentioned a little bit earlier, he left with a foot and ankle injury. Um, just a result of him trying to get the most yards that he could behind an offensive line that played like crap all day. Um he, they taped him up. He came back out, but he's questionable for Thursday night. Um, arrows pointing up. Sala seems to be doing this arrow pointing method to describe player injuries. So I'm just going off what he says. He says, Bam's arrow is up. Uh, Quinn Williams, his arrow is also up. They're hoping to get him back out there. Um, he did mention it was a bit of wishful thinking for the Lions game. And although they said 50-50, they certainly were more pessimistic based off Salah's um, comments after the game. They said this week, however, it is a big, it's larger than 50 50 for Quinnen to play. However, they are going to take it up to the 90 minutes before kickoff when they have to announce the active list for Quinnen Williams to test out that calf to see if he can go. Obviously, um, I want them to get back on tracks in the sack department. So Quinnen Williams will be a huge help to them if he can. If not, we're going to have to rely on guys like Carl Lawson, Jermaine Johnson, Vinnie Curry, JFM, those guys on the edge to really, you know, get after the quarterback because it doesn't seem like interior pressure is a thing with Quinton Williams not on the field. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner, he has a hip that popped up last weekend that kept him out of the Lions game. Uh, he's questionable for the game. And Brandon Eccles is dealing with a quad injury, and he is out for Thursday night. I believe Brandon Eccles – they're not, they might not put him on IR to end his season officially just in case they make a playoff run and, and they need him. They don't want him out for four games, but it seems like he's going to miss quite a bit of time. So um, just like last week, Bryce Hall will be uh, suited up, ready to play. Brandon Eccles not able to play. Um, all right, let's get into the Jaguars preview. Um, Jaguars, six and eight. Another surging team. We just played one of the hottest teams in the NFC in the Lions. Now we're playing one of the hottest teams in the AFC um, in terms of the last month, month and a half in the Jacksonville Jaguars. Coming off a massive win over the Dallas Cowboys, 40-34 to 34 in overtime off a, a walk-off pick six of Dak Prescott. So just uh, insane finishes all last week in football with the Vegas Raiders and New England Patriots, and then this game as well. So they they get a massive win to improve to six and eight, keep their their divisional playoff hopes alive. And I wrote they currently have a higher chance of making the playoffs than the Jets do, simply because the Titans are one game ahead of them in the AFC South divisional race. So they have the division up for grabs. The Jets are not playing for the division; they're solely playing for a wild card spot. But it does put a little bit more emphasis on the fact that the Jaguars are playing for something and it's not going to be a game where you can expect to come in and walk all over the Jaguars. Um, obviously, I think the national media is going to directly go to Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson part two. Um, last year, 
the Jets won 26 to 21 over the Jaguars. Um, similar fashion late in the season again. Um, but the first thing I wrote here is both quarterbacks are in a much different place now. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence was under an interim coach because they had fired Urban Meyer midway through last season. Didn't even finish out a full season with the Jaguars. So he was under an interim at the time. And now under Doug Peterson, uh, a hell of a, a coaching hire for the Jaguars, to be honest. Trevor is just absolutely balling of late. Um, 14 touchdowns and one interception in the last six games. Over 70% completions and 1,680 yards passing. Um, to put that into a little bit of context, um, Zach hasn't reached 1,600 yards in his eight total starts this season. He has 1,596, so just shy of 1,600, but that's an eight-game sample size compared to Trevor's six. So Trevor is clearly passing the ball at an insanely high clip efficiently as well. He's cut his interception percentage in half from 2.8 to 1.4% while also doubling his touchdown percentage from 2.0 to 4.8 from last year. So head and shoulders improvement from uh, Trevor Lawrence, kind of the jump that most people expected for him to take after leading the league last year in interceptions with 17. Um, Zach Wilson, obviously, you know, he won the, the last matchup last year. Um, but I think everybody would say that he – has not shown much to, to say that his improved, he has improved at all. Obviously, he got hurt. He tore the meniscus in the preseason. He was benched for three games. So a lot of ebbs and flows in Zach's career, in his short career, just not even two full years in. So just very different circumstances for both quarterbacks. Um, Sala himself said it's not really fair to compare because the situations are so different. Um but you just think back to that 2020 Los Angeles Rams win that the Jets got when the Rams didn't show up to play. And it really, you know, paints the whole picture of everything. And now we have this this issue of trying to find a quarterback again. And it seems like Trevor Lawrence is well on his way to being a top 10 pick or top 10 quarterback uh, going into next season, at least at the rate he's playing. So just an unfortunate um, narrative that I think the national media is going to point to when realistically they need to talk about the Jets' defense, um, the Jets' surging running game outside of that. I think Bam Knight before this week against the Lions has done enough to prove to me that he belongs in this backfield long term. He's playing much better than Michael Carter, and I, I think Michael Carter might still be dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury from a couple weeks back, but... Bam Knight has proven himself. So I think that the the media narrative is a little bit swayed, obviously looking at Zach and Trevor. Um, from an injury standpoint, I mentioned it with the Jets. We're getting big additions back, Quinn and Williams, Corey Davis. Both sides of the ball are being greatly affected um, in a positive way. Quinn and Williams is going to spark life in that defensive line, hopefully, and Corey Davis is going to help you in those got-to-have-it third-down situations where he's been – just an absolute tear this season. Um, and then on the other side with the Jaguars, two former first-round picks for them are going to be out for this game. Uh, 2022's first-round pick, Trayvon Walker, first overall pick of this past year's draft. He's going to be out. I believe it's an ankle injury. Cam Robinson, their left tackle, is going to be out. Um, I believe that's another leg injury that they're dealing with that could take multiple weeks for him. And then 
Jets legend Foley Fatukasi is going to be out for the Jaguars. And I think that those two up front on the defensive line specifically are going to really tell the tale of can the Jets get that run game going. I wrote it right away. As soon as I found out they were out, Bam Knight, offensive line, impose your will. You need to be able to push this Jaguars defensive line around. I'm not going to pretend like I know how good or bad this Jaguars defense as a whole has been this season. But I think when the Jets offense and the the offensive line and run game is clicking, they can they can match up with anybody. I think we've seen it with the Bills. The Bills have a formidable front four and the Jets have been able to generate push against them. So if you can do that against the Bills, I'm sure you can do it against the Jaguars. And then other on the other side of it, I think the defense for the Jets really needs to make Trevor Lawrence kind of revert back to the beginning of this season when he was making careless, lazy mistakes. Um, I look back at the the first interception that Josh Allen threw against the Jets in their first matchup, the the bootleg uh, flat pass to the tight end where Jordan Whitehead was just kind of hidden and, and he, he stole it in the flat. I think those are the types of uncharacteristic plays that the Jets can force Trevor Lawrence back into. He's had a couple of stinker interceptions early on in the season where if you go back and watch, it was just kind of him forcing a big play when he could have just thrown it away out of bounds. Instead, he was trying to play a little bit of hero ball. He's kind of gotten away from that. Obviously, 14 touchdowns, one interception in the last month and a half. But I think this Jets defense is the type of defense that will make you come back down to earth from a quarterback perspective. They've played Josh Allen twice. I, I'm going back to Josh Allen again, but they played him twice this season. And based off those two performances alone, I think that they squarely took Josh Allen out of the MVP race. Um, so I think that this defense can pressure – Trevor Lawrence, they're obviously down their left tackle, Cam Robinson. They do have other good pieces on the offensive line. But I think this is, again, a matchup where the Jets can take advantage on paper. It's just going to be a matter of which Zach Wilson do we get? Do we get the consistent one who plays with a lot of confidence, who's able to do the good things right as well as the easy things? You know, make make the, the hard look easy and make the easy look easy. I feel like if he's able to do that for this game, it's going to go – a long way for his his narrative for the rest of the season because at this point, like I, I mentioned, I think Mike White is the guy when he comes back from injury. Zach Wilson needs to do everything he can to prove that this needs to at a minimum be a competition or that he is the guy over Mike White. I'm not even going to put my personal bias on Zach Wilson into this conversation because what I want for the Jets organization as a whole is an answer at quarterback, whether it's a veteran, whether it's Mike White, whether it's Zach Wilson, whether they, you know, they draft another, whatever the case is, I just want them to find the answer. So I'm never going to root against a player, but this is going to pretty much be it for Zach Wilson. And time will only tell tomorrow night's not supposed to be the best weather game. A lot of rain, cold wind. So all the ingredients to, you know, get into Zach's head. Hopefully he has the mindset that he's just going to go play regardless of the conditions and just take it one play at a time. Um, If you throw a scary pass or an interception, you're not going to revert back to this conservative, scared to make a play type of quarterbacking that we've seen with him. So 
a lot's going to ride on this game. Obviously, it's a must win. Didn't even talk about the playoff factor of it. The Jets need to win out. That's to be blunt. That's all they got to do. They got to win out. They need New England to lose one of their next three, which their schedule is very difficult. So that looks very likely. I'm not going to, you know, say it's it's a sure thing because we've seen a lot of crazy football happen this season. But New England needs to lose one game. We win out. New England loses one, and the Jets have a spot. It's really all it takes. They control their destiny to a degree, but at the same time, you're still relying on a little bit of help. So it's not the position you really want to be in. But, hey, we sit here four days before Christmas, and we're talking about a game that the Jets aren't just laying down and thinking about draft position. Um, I understand they're not in the, the current playoff picture. They're in the hunt technically at the nine spot. But the, the draft narrative with the Jets has disappeared all of a sudden nobody's talking about who the Jets should be taking in the first round of the draft. And it's December. It's almost Christmas. So it's an amazing feeling. Um, I tweeted it earlier today. I said, just enjoy the season. I didn't even realize that I used the acronym Jets in that. So I'm going to repeat it here. Just enjoy the season. We're seven and seven. I understand everything hasn't gone to a T how the fans would expect it to go, but Again, if you went back to July or August and I said 7-7 seven and seven going into Christmas week with the Jaguars, the Seahawks, and the Dolphins on tap, Jets fans would be pretty damn happy. So I think it's, it's, it's time that we just start enjoying the, the season instead of trying to rip holes in every single flaw. There's flaws. There's great things and bad things that come out of every game. It's just a matter of staying level-headed. None of this is worth the – the Twitter discourse of, you know, you don't know what you're watching on film and you, you've never played football. So you don't have any clue what you're talking about. Most of these people on Twitter have never played in the NFL. So none of us would know what we're talking about if that's the case. So maybe we should all just stop watching all 22 altogether and just let them handle it. No, I'm not going to operate like that. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to make my opinions. I'm not going to force my opinions on others, but I'm going to make sure that that if if I get into a situation where I'm discussing it with somebody and we don't see eye to eye, I'm just going to let it, let it be known that that's what it is. I don't think Zach Wilson is the long-term answer. I don't think one or two games is going to decide that for the Jets, and I think that makes it tough. So... I'm not going to kill the kid every every chance I get, but I'm also not going to sit there and defend him every chance I get because, to be honest, he doesn't really warrant it either way. we got to see which, which version of Zach Wilson we get. I'm excited for the game. I'm not really excited for the primetime game, but it's going to make the, the, the holiday weekend nice just being able to sit back and relax with family. I hope you guys are all able to do the same. Thank you all for tuning in again. I know Glenn's not with us, but you can follow him on Twitter at AceFan23. Be sure to follow his Jets draft account. He's going to be posting tons of video content of draft prospects, whether they are related to the Jets or not. Players of, of all shapes and sizes, big school, small school, Glenn has it. Follow his draft account at JetsPicks, at Jets, P-I-C-K-S. You can follow me on Twitter at DTerman. Make sure you're following Jet Nation, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Instagram. We're on all social platforms. Thank you again for everybody that's tuning in. 
Have a great holiday season and let's go Jets.